Uh, you may be seated. Uh, today's scripture reading comes from the book of Acts, verses 36 through 47. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words he warned them, and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized. About 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. May God bless the reading of his word. So today we continue our series this fall. Here we go, packing the essentials for faithful witness. We're in a season in which we are starting to do some strategic envisioning of the future here at North Creek. Gathering people together, talking about, about how God might be leading us into the future. We have a great event set up to invite all of us to participate in in the discernment process. It's called an envisioning workshop, and we have set this up with the help of our fellowship team for Saturday, October 22nd. It'll be in the morning, starting at 10 o'clock, and it'll conclude with a lunch together here at the church. There we will have conversations uh, where, where we share out of a spirit of, of gratitude and appreciation Times, moments, in our experience here at North Creek Presbyterian Church, whether just last month or 20 years ago, where we have seen the light of Christ shine. What are those great moments that we've found to be so meaningful, where, where, where we have felt close to God? We'll also talk about our hopes, our dreams, for the church. And then we'll gather, some people will be listening to those conversations. We'll train some of you for that task. And we're going to find all of the themes that come out of that. And that is what we'll move forward with as we, in the winter, we talk more specifically about where God's leading us. What 
provocative proposals for, for revising our ministry or even doing new ministries in this new time for us here at North Creek. So, lots to do ahead. But this sermon series in the fall is designed to help you think along with it and be prepared to participate. So, this fall, we are talking about the five essentials that, that are seen in the early church, and specifically in Acts 2, uh, verses 42 through 47, which was the second half of the scripture reading that Tal just read. And we are talking about each one of them. Today, we talk about the first one, which is proclamation. Now, uh, available to you today, we hope we have enough of them, where they're in the process, they're hot off the press. We have these Envisioning Our Future North Creek travel journals. Traveling and packing the essentials for a journey is the theme of this uh, experience. And for each one of the sermons each week, there is a time, there's a, there's a place in this travel journal to write your own reflections of, of of how you have seen God work in that particular way here in this congregation. And also then turning your reflections to what are your hopes for this area, this essential of the church in uh, North Creek Presbyterian Church. So we'll do that with all five over the next five weeks. So this is something to keep near your Bible. Uh, uh, have some times where you can sit down and reflect on the, the sermon and on, on our conversation about that particular essential. So pick up your copy if you haven't already. And if you'd like one and we're out, definitely just let me know or let our church office know and we'll get those uh, to you as soon as we can. Well, we start off with the essentials, making sure that we are packing for our journey, proclamation. Proclamation in Greek is kerygma. And in the theology of the Christian church, kerygma is a very powerful word. It's the word that means proclamation. It's related to the word, to the verb in Greek, to cry or to proclaim as a herald. Uh, Luke's first presentation of one who cried uh, or a group who cried and acted as a herald, you might remember that in a very famous song that we sing in December each year. Uh, Hark the herald angels sing. Uh, from the Gospel of Luke, the heavenly hosts cried out, as a herald, the arrival of the Messiah in the birth of Jesus Christ. It was a message to deliver to the world. And throughout Luke and Acts, the message uh, continues. The word kerygma, this concept of proclamation, proclaiming, is related to a lot of other words that are about the essential message of Jesus, the essential message of the Christian faith. Words like, Gospel, the gospel, the good news about Jesus, about his being the savior, salvation in Christ. That's the essence of the story. And it's more than just, when you're talking about kerygma in the New Testament, it's more than just learning facts about Jesus. The kerygma is not simply teaching. We'll get to that in a few weeks. Kerygma is proclaiming the gospel, proclaiming the message of the faith, proclaiming Jesus so that others might respond in faith. 
a response. An invitation is implied. And a response is invited. Now a note about the concept we introduced last week from Acts 1-8, this concept of witnesses. Jesus says, and you will be filled with the Holy Spirit and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and all Samaria and even to the ends of the earth. The way that I interpret the concept of being a witness for Christ is that all of these essentials, these five essentials, are the five major ways in which the church witnesses to Jesus Christ. And so we're talking about a first aspect of that witness. It's not the only one, but it's primary, and that is proclamation. So we start out with our first point, and that is proclaim the name. If the church does not proclaim the name of Jesus in this world, no one will. Not the community organization down the street that does so many good things. Not the places where we buy all of our great consumer goods that we love so much. You could go on and on and on and name the important uh, institutions in a society that we value and are very important indeed. And yet if the church does not proclaim the name of Jesus in the world today, no one will. To start out with an illustration on this point, let's talk about luggage. Because when you are traveling, luggage matters. It especially matters when you discover that your luggage has been lost and you show up at your destination and you don't have your luggage. What do you do? It's a challenging predicament. When I've been thinking about luggage and packing the essentials for a journey, I couldn't help but think that, that my lists were leaving something out, and that is the luggage itself. If you can picture trying to, to hold all of the things that you would take on a journey, hold them in your arms without the luggage to put it in, you can imagine how difficult travel would be. That luggage is really important. One piece of luggage holds all the different aspects of our journey. The supplies for our journey holds them all together. Furthermore, your luggage makes a public statement. Others can see your luggage. They, they don't necessarily see what's inside your luggage. That's for the TSA folks to see. <laughs> so the first essential for faithful witness is proclamation. It's naming the name of Jesus. Jesus... And proclaiming his name is what holds all the activities of the church together. It unites them all. It gives them their specific meaning. It gives them the power. It reminds us of the true presence of Christ in all of those essentials. In Acts 2.38, Peter, in his proclamation, 
speaks of the name of Jesus Christ. In verse 38 of chapter 2 in Acts, Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's curious to notice that while Jesus only appears in the book of Acts right at the very beginning for a very short time, and then you might also consider Jesus appearing in Acts chapter 9 in a blinding light at Saul's conversion on the road to Damascus, and yet Jesus' name is mentioned nearly 70 times in the book of Acts. This this history of the early church. And that's not counting pronoun references or the word Lord or the word Messiah. Seventy times. That's almost half as many times as in each one of the Gospels that are specifically recording the activities of Jesus of Nazareth. So there's something about the early church where they did this. They named the name. They proclaimed the name of Jesus to the world. In the Presbyterian Church USA, we're a particular flavor of Christianity. And in our book of order, yes, I'm using a book of order reference. Can you believe it? All right, but don't go to sleep quite yet. Because in our form of government, we have, at the very beginning, is something that's called the Foundations of Presbyterian Polity. Yes, I know, you're about to go to sleep. Hold on a bit. It starts out, however, with a powerful statement. A powerful statement of the mission of the church. So here, at this point, when we, as a congregation of the the worldwide Christian community, uh, the worldwide church, but more specifically, the flavor, Presbyterian Church in the USA, it would be maybe very helpful for us to say, to look at, okay, how do we as a church, as a denomination, talk about the mission of the church if we're trying to kind of revise and renew or update our mission? Well, in the first six pages of our book of order, in this statement on the mission of the church, The word Jesus is used 23 times in the first six pages. The word Christ is used 88 times. 88 times. The most used word in that section. And here are the titles as you follow the flow of what the mission of the church is all about. Jesus Christ is head of the church. The authority of Christ. Christ calls and equips the church. Christ gives the church its very life. Christ is the church's hope. Christ is the foundation of the church. The church is the body of Christ. These are Presbyterians. It sounds like they're positively charismatic, doesn't it? They can't, in the beginning of the book of order, that tells us what this whole ball game of the church is all about, our Presbyterian hearts cannot help 
but proclaim the name of Jesus. Jesus, being Christ-centered, is what the church is all about. And it, yes, indeed, it is what the Presbyterian Church USA is all about, and it, indeed, is what North Creek Presbyterian Church should be all about. I want to encourage us on this journey, uh, just in general as a congregation, but also in our personal lives, in our, the lives of our families, to, to just take this reminder to talk about Jesus maybe a little bit more than we do in our casual conversations. To ask each other about our spiritual life, but more specifically, ask each other about how's our walk with Jesus going? Those are two, they're they're a similar question, but one specifically names the name and ensures that Jesus is a part of that conversation. What do you think that Jesus is up to? We believe in the living Jesus who is present with us by his Holy Spirit that he gave to his followers on that day of Pentecost and continues to through faith, by grace. What is Jesus doing in our midst? How is Jesus leading us into our future? How can we join Jesus as Jesus reaches out to those in our community and our world and invites us along? All right. So we're going to proclaim the name along with the Christian church. The second point from this text, uh, this second aspect of this essential of proclamation, is to share the message, the specific message of a gospel of salvation. The first great end of the church, actually the, the first six pages of the Book of Order, this statement on the mission of the church, it finds it, the, the resolution of its crescendo, its very high point in the articulation of the six great ends of the church, which, by the way, are the Presbyterian version of the essentials that we all need to pack for our journey with Christ. And the first great end of the church is the proclamation. The proclamation of the gospel for the salvation of humankind. Peter, in Jerusalem, right at the very beginning, right after the Spirit had come upon the whole assembly, he stood up to proclaim the message of salvation. And you know, people like Peter, people called to proclaim the name of Christ, and share the gospel, have not sat down since. The gospel continues to be proclaimed. And the the importance, the important thing for all of us to remember at a time when we're at a crossroads of charting the course for the future of a congregation is to make sure that it doesn't stop with us. That we find our way to proclaim the gospel, to share the gospel, the good news of salvation in Christ. Acts 2, verses 41 and 47 in our text today speaks of of kind of the result of the proclamation of this message. It says that those who accepted Peter's message, his message about Jesus, which actually is the foundational thing that's happening in Acts chapter 2. We didn't include the whole speech. It's a long speech, but it's all about 
who Jesus is and how Jesus is our Savior and what we need to do to be saved. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. That's God working. And then in verse 47, at the very end of the text we read today, there's that, that, that great understatement where Luke says, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. I mean, just think about that. That's something that can be true anywhere. Just daily, the Holy Spirit, the presence of Christ among us, bringing people into the church and breathing life into their lives by their reception of Christ as Savior. It's a beautiful thing. It's something that's touched all of our lives. And it, there are ways that we can touch others' lives through it. Some other uh, verses in the book of Acts that we didn't read that are foundational for this concept of proclamation and sharing the gospel. One is Acts 4, verses 10 through 12, where we learn from Peter that it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth that these healings and signs and wonders are taking place. And Peter goes on to say, salvation is found in no one else. For there is no one, no other name under heaven given to humankind by which we must be saved. And then Acts 4.33, which we put on the front of your bulletin today. With great power, the apostles gave their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. The church in its infancy was just bursting forth with the proclamation of the gospel. They talked about it with each other. They proclaimed it and talked about it publicly. First in the temple courts. And then when they kind of got kicked out, they went and spread it around the world. And it's amazing. To the ends of the earth, here we are. I studied New Testament at Louisville Seminary with a a New Testament scholar named Marty Swords. And one of Marty's uh, lifelong focus areas in his New Testament study are the speeches in the book of Acts. And from his work, he's identified that there's, there's something unique about Luke's history that, that is different than other ancient histories of the time. So he mentions that, that Luke shares some, uh, as, a, as a history, an ancient history, shares some aspects of the great histories that we know of that era. But it's remarkable when compared to ancient historians who include speeches in their texts. Luke goes way beyond what these other histories do in including these speeches in two dimensions. First is this the frequency of the speeches. In uh, Polybius' history, Polybius was a historian, and in his work, history, if you compare Acts to that history, Luke uses speeches 16 times more than Polybius does. Now, if you compare it to Josephus, who was a Jewish historian in the first century, um, then uh, Luke uses speeches or cites speeches four times more. And the closest competitor uh, are actually those of Tacitus's annals and Herodotus' history. Those are, uh, include speeches 
uh, less than half the number of times that Luke includes speeches. So there's something unique about the frequency of speeches in Luke's history of the church. But there's another dimension as well. It's the form of the speech. Ancient historical narratives stayed pretty close to a a particular reason for characters in the story to speak. It was to address a specific situation that was being talked about in the text. And they brought that simple speech would bring clarity and resolution to that situation. Now Luke uses that as well, but so much of the, the quotes, the speeches, the public proclamation in the book of Acts are about things that don't have to do with the specific situation at hand. It's almost as if Luke is remembering that in the early church, any time was an occasion to talk about Jesus and to talk about the gospel and to talk about salvation. And so in the book of Acts, as we read it, we encounter people speaking. First, it's Peter is the primary speaker, then Stephen, then Philip, then the apostle Paul. And that's just, those are just the main characters. But so much of Luke is, some of, the, of Luke's work in the book of Acts is relaying to us the actual speaking of the good news of salvation to the world. It's not just history. It's an account of the presentation of the gospel that is meant to be spoken. It's meant to be spoken by the church, by Christians. But when we talk about the gospel, a lot of times when we think of that word, that word um, brings up concepts to us. Some of you might have uh, been asked at some point to say, okay, what do you think the gospel is? What is the good news? And you've come up with a, a, an answer to that. I know that we ask that of seminary students in the Presbyterian Church. It's what we, what we ask uh, people who are in the preparation for ministry process in our presbyteries. I want to share with you a story that Donald Miller, the Christian writer, uh, relays in his book, Searching for God Knows What. I first came across this story, actually, when Hal Hunt, who was at the time was the choir director here at North Creek, and he was a member of our church staff, he brought this quote, uh, this, this, uh, this story from this book to our church staff. And uh, I was reading the book at the time. I hadn't got to that point in the book yet, but I've always remembered that, that, that Hal brought this into our church staff. So here's the story. So, so Donald Miller, as a well-known Christian author, kind of a, a, a uh, at the time, I think he'd be pretty much a Gen X kind of author. Uh, and he wrote the book, Blue Like Jazz. Some of you uh, were aware of that uh, as being a bestseller. Uh, this is his follow-up book, Searching for God Knows What. And he shares the story of speaking to a group of 45 students at a Bible college. He never says what Bible college it is. Now, these students had just taken a class on evangelism. And in fact, they had all just recently, as an assignment in that evangelism class, had gone door to door sharing the gospel with people. So Donald Miller started to 
talk with the class about the gospel. And he shared the great story of, of sin and salvation, and then, uh, then morality and the importance of that in, in living the faith and all of that. And then after this long presentation, uh, he asked the class, did you notice what I left out? And there was silence. They weren't able to answer that question because they didn't, they felt like he had covered all the basics. And none of them noticed that Miller had intentionally left out the name of Jesus. It really is easy for us as Christians to lose sight of the name of Jesus. As, as we've layered our explanations of, what, of who Jesus is all about and the different titles for Jesus, the different works of Jesus, the different things that we do in the church, those can, can be a, like a layer of paint over the original. And it's hard sometimes to actually remember the original that that's what really matters. And so we are called as a church to share the gospel, and while doing that, make sure we proclaim the name. And I'm going to end with, with this exhortation, and that is to savor the flavor of this signature ingredient. You know, if you think of... of uh, uh, dishes that, that you might be very fond of. Uh, sometimes those dishes, in the title themselves, uh, talk about things that you would expect to be in the dish. For instance, if you uh, went to a restaurant and you ordered cashew chicken, what would you expect to be in the dish? Chicken and cashews. Yeah. Or what about, uh, like, say, garlic prawns? What would you expect to be in that dish? Garlic and prawns, right? It, it could be, if it's garlic chicken, you'd say, not quite as advertised. Uh, or if it's prawns, but it's like, hmm, no garlic. Not quite as advertised. There are a lot of dishes like that. And of course, we might be very disappointed if, if the dish that we order does not have the essential ingredient in it. How empty it is when our gospel and our life together in the church does not have or does not have us speaking to one another about the essential ingredient, and that is the person of Jesus Christ. And yet how rich it is with us, when, when it's with us, when we are talking about Jesus, how delightful and how delicious is the Christian community that, that flows from that. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good as we proclaim the name of Jesus. I like to think of this proclamation of Jesus' name and Jesus as the, the center of the good news of salvation, the Savior, as, as being the, the one of the five that we are studying, one of the five essentials that flavors the other four. Think about how each one of the other four is different, is distinct when you remember Jesus. Service is not just doing good things. You do it in the way that Christ served. Because the Bible goes to 
all kinds of lengths to remind us that Christ came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. When it comes to teaching, it's not just teaching concepts that that is happening in the early church. It's teaching about Jesus, and it's teaching the teachings of Jesus, and we continue to do that. And the goal here, of course, is to know it enough. Do you ever wonder, like, when are you done? (laughs) Like, like when, when, when are we done when it comes to spiritual formation and learning in the church? Well, you never really are, and that's a good place to stand. But one, one uh, possible helpful thing to, to think about is, do you know it well enough to share it? If you know it well enough to share it, you should probably start sharing it and maybe start learning some other aspects. But if you don't know it enough to share it, that's really what the teaching of the apostles is all about because proclamation is so central. Community, Jesus is the person, is the one in the spirit who makes community and fellowship happen. And finally, worship. We worship the Son, fully human and fully God. And the sacraments are the sacraments because Jesus called us to observe them because he knows that we can experience his reality and his real presence through baptism and communion. So our first, our first essential to travel with, we might think of as the, the, the luggage that holds everything together, and that is the proclamation of the name of Jesus as the Savior of the world. Amen.